Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James Bell, and I'm thrilled to share the studio today with Andy Martin, CEO and co-founder of Wishfluence. Andy is also the owner and CEO of Moonlight Games. And for our regular viewers and listeners, if his name sounds familiar, he looks familiar, it's because we just had him on a few weeks ago for a short segment during the NWA Tech Summit bonus series. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, James. No problem. Hey, so let's start with the basics. And this time we have more time so we can go deeper. Uh, What should our audience know about Andy Martin? Uh, That's a good question. I was definitely rushed last time, but yeah, I was born in Fort Smith, Arkansas. That's where I was raised. I had three older siblings and both of my sets of grandparents lived in town. My paternal grandfather fought in World War II. He shipped off on a Navy boat and one day on that boat into his trip, the war was over. So he finished his tour, but never actually had to do much. And then my maternal grandfather fought for the U.S. in World War II as well and was shot down over Germany and spent a few years in a prison camp before making his way back to Arkansas. And yeah, I think I got some of my resilience kind of from them. They're pretty hard guys that had a lot thrown at them, but also my entrepreneurship. So my dad ran a business that my grandfather had started and from a very young age, just kind of looking up to him. I sort of thought I always wanted to run my own business and I had no idea what that meant. One day I remember being fifth grade or so and looking over at a junior high school that I knew I was going to attend. And I said, you know what? When I'm done going there, I'm going to get straight A's all the way through and get a full ride to school. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what scholarships Mm -hmm. really were, but I'd heard of that. So in high school, I learned what it meant to get those scholarships and realized that it was actually pretty hard and pretty competitive. So I hung up a lot of my extracurricular activities and really focused on the ACT. I got this book, ACT for Brainiacs, and that was like six months of my life, but well well worth it because I got the Governor's Distinguished Scholarship from uh, Little Rock. And then I also got the Honors College Prestigious Fellowship, which really enabled me to explore a lot more in college than I think some of my peers. I was required to take 15 hours instead of 12 hours I was required to take a certain number of honors courses and such. And uh, I really credit and thank those programs for that because one semester in, I realized I didn't want to be a mechanical engineer like my dad. Wow, I couldn't be less handy with a wrench. I mean, if I didn't have any hands. And yeah, then I switched to physics, which was way more in line with my aspirational goals, you know. My maternal grandfather had died of cancer. And from a little kid, I kind of thought it would be cool to be able to cure cancer somehow. Mm. But yeah, I got into an intro to biochemistry class and realized that I 
couldn't be a doctor. I just, that wasn't interesting at all to me anymore. And I couldn't force myself to pay attention. And it was in that moment that I remembered one computer science class I took freshman year and that that was actually the only class I'd ever taken that felt like it ended too early. So I switched my major again to computer science and really rushed through that major. My senior year, my victory lap, actually, I, I just, I knew I needed to go to grad school in computer science. I didn't have any chops. I didn't have any internships or things that other people were doing. I had just finished the courses and, and I was done with them. So I did a, I was required to do an honors college thesis. And at the end of high school, before Guitar Hero came out, I had an idea for a game called Guitar RPG. And my thought was you would play the guitar as a part of a role-playing adventure game. So like a goblin attacked you with a Blink-182 riff, and then you had to play it back to him to vanquish him. It made so much sense. So the I made, devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> that would be an amazing final song. So I, I finished that, ended up graduating summa, and I was applying to go to grad schools, and they didn't like my background, really. I mean... So you want to be in computer science and you've only been in there for a year and a half. You know, at this point, I'm still signed into my courses. I don't even have, I haven't even completed my fall semester of that year's courses, which was five computer science courses. There wasn't any fluff French left to take anymore. So I called my friend Daniel Week and said, no, these places aren't taking me. And I had this essay about being a small kid from Fort Smith where no one even knew what programming was. And uh, he read it and said, no, this is really good. He's an English major who finished his college on time. So he had a little free time at this moment and he just reorganized it for me and it rang so much better. And so I applied to schools and I had one dream school, the University of Southern California. They at the time were ranked number one from the Princeton Review and game design and development. And they're also the only school that accepted me. <laughs> so they Perfect. were like, I applied to all these safe schools thinking I needed these backups and I only got into that one school. So that was completely different world. So I know the University of Arkansas is an amazing school, but USC is a top 10 computer science school from way back in the day. Sure. So it's just different. And so I landed in there. I'm a first year grad student and I'm competing against second year undergrad students. They're light years ahead of me. I got an email. This was when I realized, oh, I kind of came here to start my own game business, didn't I? And I don't think I'd sort of consciously realized that. So I get this email that says, hey, sign up for Startup Weekend. You can go and start a business in one weekend. And I went and um, I met some people. We did team formation. They had this crazy thing going called Spotify that I'd never heard of. And uh, it was, I think it'd been out for like a month at that point. Anyways, That was an eye-opener because I realized how unuseful I was on a team. As a computer science guy learning how to do CS, I couldn't build anything. And we were supposed to build this script reader. That was the guy's idea. It would read scripts and his wife had a long commute. And so it would read her the scripts so she didn't have to read them for her job and could get home and like mark them up. So I came out of that with some friends and that was about it. And then I got another email and this was the one that really sparked everything off. It said, Join the Massey Entrepreneurship Prize Competition two semesters, win $50,000 for your idea. And I was searching. I mean, I would say most people go to a school and like know someone there. Right. I had a friend who went to Claremont McKenna College across Los Angeles. That, that was it. 
I didn't know anyone else in the city. So I signed up and I, and I called a business guy who'd been on my team from Startup Weekend. And then I called two of my friends who'd been on my first class project. And for some reason, they agreed. I said, yeah, let's build this game, this music game you've got an idea for. And I learned so much from that program that I had no idea. They had classes and tutorials. Just think of it like a two, mm-hmm. two semester long accelerator. And uh, yeah, at the end, we made it to the finals. A lot of teams had already been cut and had to compete against a fluorescently tipped cancer detecting medical device, you know, curing cancer. And we're there curing boredom and maybe some kind of like infrastructure issues. I remember had listed like people don't have to drive to the concerts now. Think of all the resources that are saved. So we lost. And that was actually a defining moment in my life because I rode back on the bus with the winner and I said, wow, I just can't imagine having the $50,000 and being able to pursue your idea. And he looked at me with this blank look and said, you can't even imagine the pressure on me now that I have to to effectively spend this $50,000 that can't even do anything that that we actually need to do long-term. And I remember kind of being like, oh yeah, world's tiniest violin. I'm sure that's a terrible problem. But I went on, I got a job, right? I actually did a great internship that summer. And I learned so much in that internship about working in a team environment, building stuff that mattered and thinking about the long-term goals of of software. Because in college, it's like, I'll make it through the semester, program never needs to run again. But oh, wow, I'm building something for this uh, company called Game Desk. And it was really neat, really, really a great time. And a few months later, I got a call from one of those folks that said, I got this job offer. It's not the job for me, but it's the job for you. I know it. Hmm. And it was in music and iPad games and all, just all this stuff that required my skill set, where I'd done all this audio engineering and everything. So I went there and interviewed and it just, none of my other interviews had gone well at all. I'd interviewed at Zynga, didn't know anything about those worlds, but this company made sense to me. And I went in and talked to the president of the company and he said, why, why should I hire you and why shouldn't I hire you? And I said, well, you should hire me because long-term I'll be your best engineer. And I said, you shouldn't hire me because I like to work on side projects. And he said, if the side projects help make you our best engineer, that's okay. So I, so I kind of had the blessing to do that. And that was, the, I mean, just such a great job. I grew a whole lot. And towards the end of that job, I started my company, Moonlight Games, as a California-based single-member LLC. And I was building my game consortia on, like if it was Martin Luther King Day and we were off work, I was working on it because my then-girlfriend didn't live in town. So there was really, I mean, I could call her, which I did every day, but it, it wasn't like I had much to do. So I worked on that project. And then she and I got married and she moved into that place with me. And my dream had always been, I'll make this money and build this game, and then this will be my business. And then now I had this wife, and the company had given me lots of extra responsibilities and you know a fractional bit of extra money. So mm-hmm. I just had more money, more responsibilities, and way more responsibilities than money. So she applied to Ozark Guidance here in Arkansas, and I thought, yeah, just apply wherever you want. I don't know. And then she got the job and then we talked about it and said, 
well, don't you think your business could actually thrive there in Bentonville compared to here in LA because you're making X amount and then this is how much you have to spend on rent. You know, Mm -hmm. we now have to spend on rent. And we ran the math and all the numbers and she convinced me. She convinced me to move back and best decision I made because we moved in with her parents. That was a trial. And uh, I bet low rent though. <laughs> it was the best cheap rent ever. And uh, they're actually people to look up to and model after. So it's great to live with them and see that. And we're really fortunate because we bought a house back then in 2016. And if you know much about the Bentonville mm-hmm. housing market, it seemed expensive then. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just gotten kind of more so now. And, and what she had said was true. I got multiple job offers from companies in California paying me the same rate I'd made out there, except I was here where the cost of living was half. Wonderful. And uh, I was building my business and trying to figure out this game idea. And then I was working remotely for my old job. And I, one day I got cut from that job. I was, I was at the Walmart neighborhood market downtown in Bentonville, getting ready to go on a camping trip. And yeah, I got a call. And I'd, they'd gone through so many layoffs at that company and I'd made it through all of them but they liked to lay off contractors. And now I was a contractor. So it didn't really matter. I got, I got laid off because all the contractors did. So that was actually the start of where I am now because in that bit of a free fall I was in, I had all these mobile app development skills that I just learned. And so I decided to build a concert scheduler application to solve the chicken and egg problem that my mm-hmm. concert simulator had. And set out to build it. It made so much sense to me. And then I went on another camping trip. Same place, but different people this time. It was a little bit bigger time in October. And somehow I was just telling everybody about this project I'd built. I don't know if I was consciously fishing or something, but I sat down with my sister-in-law who said, well, that's cool. I've got this terrible problem at our store where we write down what people want on these paper wish lists. And you just said you made this thing where you can like upload photos and comment on them. What if we could upload photos of these wish lists? And then that would just be a lot easier for me. And it probably looked pretty professional. So I was really eager at the time to do anything. I mean, anything. So I was just like, oh, you want that? Let's do it. So I went home, got into Sketch and designed it up and showed it to her boss, Ben Blakeman. And they liked it. They thought, this is something, just, just kind of make this thing. And I thought in that moment that I had just made it. All, this was the first time my own project, I was going to get paid to do something. So I worked on it. Some things fell into my lap. A friend that I had, he had been an intern that I'd mentored for over a year and he was getting a new job and he needed a referral. So I called the place to give him the referral. And then they start being like, well, what's your background? Then I realized I'm being interviewed for this job, basically. And so I I let them interview me and then called. So I called my old boss, the one who had had to cut me and said, hey, new place wants to hire me. So-and-so is going there. Write me a recommendation to go. And he said, I'll happily write your recommendation, but we just got our funding back in and you're like (laughs) one of our best people that's ever worked here. So just come back. So somehow I've gone from no job to three days a week I'm working at my old job and two days a week I'm working on this wish list. And I put the wish list app out for the store. And in my head, I was kind of done. All of the infrastructure for it 
was shared with my other applications. So really, I just kind of slightly modified what I'd built and gave it to them. So I worked with, at the time, I'd been going to all kinds of startup junkie things. Startup junkie is actually part of the reason I moved back. I had a phone call with Michael Eisman, and he told me about all the resources in Bentonville that I had no idea existed because in 2011, when I left Fayetteville at the time, none of those seemed to really exist. Or if they did, I didn't know about them. So they really weren't here. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm aware of this rich entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I came back to Bentonville and became a part of that entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I was just so excited. So then fast forward a few months, I get another phone call. We're about to have our first baby. And I've done this Kickstarter campaign for this concert simulator, which everyone who's looking at me, Jeff Amorai, let's say, is like, this thing will never succeed. And Andy will never know it until he tries to make it succeed and realizes it won't. Well, I'm dumb. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what everyone was thinking. But yeah, did the Kickstarter and it failed. And then Michael Eisman again said, hey, I really want you to do this idea fame pitch because your product's fun. And I think you'll have fun doing the pitch. So I did it. Maybe I didn't have so much fun. But then they had Idea Fame Live. And so I pitched again there, a 60-second video. And luckily, I did that video. I had no idea how low I was on resources. And one of the jobs I had, the company wasn't getting funding. Anyways, I get a call from Cody Kinsey of Lofty Labs, who I'd met at Startup Weekend. Barely. I'm telling you, I talked to him for five minutes, but somehow he remembered me. And he said, I saw your idea of fame life pitch. You know what? This other company in high fashion and luxury retail is releasing this MMO game and they've been building it and paying someone to build it. And they don't really have their own internal team to audit and manage this. And it's just kind of funny because that's really what I excel at is like these massive architectures and making sure everybody's doing stuff together. And so I said, okay, all right, Cody, that sounds good. And I talked to a person who was in Ireland at the time. And he said, yeah, I'm in Ireland. I'm normally in the States. So I said, okay, well, interview me for this job. He's like, this isn't my company. I'm an advisor to this other company. And Cody's just my friend who we've worked with before. So this is all like friend to friend to friend. And we're going to try and get you this job. Nice. So I'm like, well, that sounds bad. That there's no way I'm getting this job. So why am I why am I wasting my time? So I threw out what I thought was a crazy number of hundred dollars an hour for the job, thinking if they do pay it, I'll take it. And if they don't pay it, I'll just assume that it's not because I stink, it's because that rate is just stupid. Well, they were like, hey, that sounds great. Can you start next Monday? And uh yeah, I was having a or my wife was having a baby, and I thought, hmm, we probably need some money. Let's do this. Well, that job, I'm just going to fast forward through it. Now, that job taught me so much about luxury retail. And I'd made this wish list app a few years before. And everything in my career started connecting all those dots. And then my wife didn't really like being in therapy with young children when we had a young child. And so I said, babe, I'm running like three different jobs right now, trying to figure out how to make them all work together. You already helped me with this wishlist app the first time. Just come work for me and do my billing and talk to people and make it so that I can make us money. That conversation happened like 10 times before she actually did it. So she came on board and I was supposed to be able to focus on development. 
Well, then she had her own ideas. I mean, wow, really? <laughs> she had her own ideas. And she said, Andy, I know your heart was in it when you built this app, but it's so ugly. And we need this app to be in other jewelry stores. So let's, let's give it a facelift. So we called Blake Davidson of Square Six, another person through that job referral chain that I'd met. And he showed up at our house with the kangaroo. I'm not lying. <laughs> a baby kangaroo, a Joey, I guess, and, his, and a bag. Said, yeah, let's have this meeting and talk about making this app better. So Karen and I talked to him and I've never seen a kangaroo up close like that before. So he's, he's like a shoe in for the job. I mean, I'm telling you, this kangaroo got him the job. And uh, he just did this facelift of the app and made it look so much better. And then things just started happening with that app and other jobs that I had one ran out of startup capital. One just wasn't the right product for the right market. I launched this big beta for my concert game that didn't really give me the results I wanted. And I finally had a closure, like a sense of closure. And they will say, well, I can just stop working on that. I've Amazing. been working on it for nine years. I mean, 2011 to 2020, I worked on that project. And then I just felt this feeling of, I can let it go. Jeff was right. Everybody was right. No one said to let it go, but their eyes said it looking back. And I said, I'm going to do this wish list thing and I'm going to do it right because I'm passionate about startups and I really like how this is solving this problem, but it's not my baby that has to be this exact way for it to succeed or else I'll never be happy with it. I was very willing to let it grow and ebb and flow, which uh, I think is what everybody kind of wants out of a founder. Uh -huh. So that'd be some advice would be be willing to change. And yeah, I took on, I took on this goal of let's get it into other stores, got it into another store in North Carolina. It's actually two stores. That was a big trial because it took five months to get it there. We like released it. It kind of did what they wanted. They used really nice words like clunky instead of horrible, stuff like that. And eventually it was the right app and we got them to pay and we had a paying customer that was using the app. And because of COVID, we couldn't even visit them or, or do anything other than just roll it out all digitally. But that was really great. And the next year, we hired a temp guy because my wife had another baby. And this temp guy, uh, his name was Eric. And he just helped me so much, forced me to do stuff because I was always too busy or not present. And then he'd say, well, how so-and-so is supposed to do this thing? And he would ask those questions that, other people weren't asking me, but Eric was asking them and they made sense. And so I'll kind of stop this story because I know it's going forever, but I'm on a mountain bike in Colorado with Eric and I get a phone call from my wife. She, and this is where everything changed because she said, hey, Ben Blakeman just called. There's like another app that's like kind of sort of like ours. And they're calling like every jewelry store and trying to get them to switch to us. And they tried to get him to switch to to them, you know, from us. And I was just like, oh no, that's really bad. We've taken so long. It's time to go all in. Okay, hold that thought. I want to go back. I want to come back to this because that's a good turn that I want to come back to because we've heard a lot of jewels in here that <laughs> I want people, especially, you know, new founders and the, uh, such, some, yeah, absolutely. some things to follow. I think that's a great uh, place I mean, to stop. <laughs> oh, we're going to come back to that. Don't let me forget where we were. Number one, your willingness to change directions when you needed to and just go, this isn't for me. 
Good for you. By the way, I, I too quit pre-med at, well, we called it, it was a the second class of organic and it was combined with bio. So it was called oh. bio-organic too. Oh. It was awful. I too was figured, that's the first time in my life that I actually, I think, quit at something. Amazing. The, uh, you know, there's, I guess, a trend line in here I see that's not really a line. It's a crooked line. It goes all over the place. You made turns every time you needed to when opportunities presented themselves. Life isn't clean. There is no straight line to to progress. And you were willing to follow that path. So congratulations. Thanks. We'll probably come back and talk about cost of living. <laughs> I'm just looking at my different notes here that, uh, boy, that cost of living thing. And, and always hire somebody with a kink, with a baby kangaroo. That's the third <laughs> point. <laughs> it's definitely a good, a good move. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, getting up and pitching, you know, do things that are uncomfortable, I would say would be the fourth point. And the fifth one, I'll, I'll stop there is... You know, that first app was really your MVP, your minimum viable product. And I got to tell you, and I'll, I'll tell the audience, because if you're working on something and, and you founded a company and you're working on a product, if you're really, really proud of the way it looks, you went too far. <laughs> if you aren't embarrassed by the first product, you do not have a minimum viable product. So make sure that you stop at some point and get people to test it before you move on and spend a bunch of money and time. One of my icons was the little floppy disk for save. I mean, that's how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right. I want to hear about this turn. So you found out you had competition, which by the way, is a great thing to have competition because it means that there's a pretty good chance you're on the right path. Yeah. So because we'd done this grassroots and we I wasn't ever really in the jewelry industry. I released this app, but I never went to a conference or a show or like became connected to others. I had a few contacts. And then my wife had worked in jewelry at Blakeman's for about eight years, way before, you know, we even met each other. Yeah, the competition, that really lit a fire under me because I thought, oh, I've been building at Grassroots never take an investment or anything like that because it just seemed like there was no reason to need to speed up. And then there was finally a reason to speed up. And talk about competition. We, I'll skip some other stuff because we went to this big conference called JCK and we got a booth and we spent money and had plane tickets and we flew Eric there and we flew Karen there and we brought our then one-year-old son with us there. Actually, he was seven months or something old at the time. And Karen's sister, who first helped me ideate the app, she said, I have to go with you guys too. You're, you're, never, you're just going to die out there. So we go and get in our booth and we're ready for day one. And I kid you not, the company right across from us was that competitor. Wow. A venture-backed company with like five people, many salespeople and stuff. Looked really well put together. And then we were here in this little tiny booth and never had tried anything Never had tried to sell this. This was just a soft launch. That was very intimidating. But you know, you're sitting there and you're putting your app in front of people. And if you're looking at what the competition's doing, you're doing it wrong. I was just looking into the eyes of the people I was talking to. And some of them said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. 
we use these paper wish lists. We need this. And, and they signed up. Now, ultimately, we couldn't convert them because we weren't far enough along to figure out any of that. But just them showing that enthusiasm, I got on the plane, heading home, and I said, Karen, I think I need to quit that consultant job I just picked up. And then I think we need to take that loan out that someone just offered us and just go all in on this. And yeah, my friend Eric before said, yeah, burn the ships. We kind of went more for selling the ships, but he was right. right. Yeah, yeah. We went all in. (laughs) And so we we knew where the app needed to go just as far as where the industry was. And we had to catch it up to there. But then we had to start thinking about funding the company. And uh, this was, we'd applied to the AEDC for a TDP. And what is a TDP? The Technology Development Program. And they offer these royalty-based loans where you can take the loan or grants more. And as your company makes money, you pay a percentage back to them, hardly any interest or anything. And then they essentially just help you accelerate your product. Precisely. And that's the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. What you're describing is one of many great incentives they have for startups. Yes. So yes. And another one they have is SCIP. Correct me if I don't know the full acronym or forgive me, but it's the TDP is capped at 100000 and the SCIP is capped at about 500000 Well, we went in and we were very confident, but we did it remotely. And ultimately, we, like our message just did not resonate and we didn't get picked. And I, I didn't think they would vote in the meeting. They voted right then. We didn't get it right then. And we got off the call and we had just done all these plans. This was uh, about a month before that conference we went to. And uh, that was big eye-opener of just, wow, well, we failed. We failed or, or feel like we failed. And thank goodness my dad, I'd been talking to him about this and he said, that's bad. That's not going to be good for you guys. I'm going to loan you this money interest-free <laughs> because I know you were counting on getting this other loan and then I need you guys to get your business going and pay me back later. No pressure, son. <laughs> I told him no, absolutely not. I think he'd actually offered us that loan before we didn't get it. So then when we didn't get it, I told him yes. <laughs> right. Failure is but a point in time. Suddenly you've succeeded. Yeah. So that's where I get into realizing that, or where I got into realizing, okay, well, I'll build the product people need. And then I, I just realized I was in the same problem I'd been in with Consortia, building the technology based on what I think the people need without a real avenue to getting it to them. And the thought that it'll just be good enough, they'll sign up. And that's just not how it works. Um, and then I talked to a dear friend and she, she heard my story about all that stuff. She heard my complaints and my successes and failures. And she said, I don't think it's supposed to go like that. Like, I, I need you to talk to my friend. So she sent me a message. I said, I need you to talk to my friend, Yilin. She's at the Walton Family mm. Foundation, Yilin Lei. And she knows all about this stuff. Just talk to her and, and see if she has any help or whatever to offer you. And graciously, Yi Lin accepted a meeting with this stranger guy. And I went in there. Gosh, I must, I must have laid out a lot. Because I remember just being like, this, 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 this. And she was right there. She said, mm, well, I think you'd be perfect for this program over here and this program over here. And I'm going to recommend you to these people over here because I want you to succeed we want these startups to succeed. And so this was like the first person on the inside of all this stuff who I felt said she wanted me to succeed. 
for personal reasons of she seemed to like me, but also just Arkansas reasons of we need these businesses here. And she connected me to Sarah Goforth at the University of Arkansas Center for Entrepreneurship. And, and I reached out and Sarah and I had a lot of misconnections trying to get that first meeting, which was amazing when it finally happened. And in the interim, she connected us to Innovate Arkansas, which I'd heard about. And it's like, I just chose to ignore all the great things about, I don't know. I have no excuse other than I just didn't pursue it. So Innovate Arkansas started working with us. They heard what we were saying, started mentoring us weekly, monthly. Then we got this call from a friend who we'd met at that big conference. She's an industry insider who knows Karen and her sister on a personal level and just wants us to succeed. She's a cancer survivor, Angela Quiles. She just wanted us to succeed. She loved the thought of it. And so here we are. We're ready to go. And nowhere to go, right? I just said, we just spent all this time planning it, but we didn't actually have a plan. She said, guys, there's this conference that moves around every year. And this year it's going to be in Oklahoma City. It's like right next door to you guys. And I need you to go because you don't know anyone in the industry. And the only way you're ever going to sell in jewelry is if these people know you and like you. And we're like, well, that can't be true. You know, they just need to see the product and they'll buy it. And then like one second later, we're like, well, tell us more. So she tells us more about it and we sign up and go and uh, had a lot of great things come out of that conference, real relationships with people. But I think the best thing that came out of that conference was we had this dance the last night. I was talking to these different jewelers. I love jewelers. I love them. They're amazing people. They have their heart on their sleeve. I always thought it was like in the movies where the jewelers are the bad people and they're just kind Uh of trying to sell you fake jewels. If you're working with real jewelers, I mean... They're fascinating people. They like art. They like rock and roll. They like love. They love love, honestly. And uh, that feeling of, oh, I'm in the jewelry industry because I'm a heartless, or sorry, because I'm a romantic. I can't think of the right word there. They're creatives and artists. Yeah. Which means they're basically entrepreneurs. Yeah. They're all entrepreneurs because almost all these businesses are independently owned. Most of them were started by their grandparents or parents mm-hmm. in either the 40s or the 80s. And then the next generation's taking over now, which is what's setting up things for our app because people are kind of saying, well, now I'm in charge and I've always wished that I could change this. Wish fluence, right? So that was just really great to finally put people onto this industry instead of just, well, I don't know, maybe they will be customers. And then, um, well, we'd done that Jeweler Circular Keystone conference the year before, but it was way late that year. So this year, it was in June. So we're only about eight months separate. And we had not developed anything good enough to say, let's get another booth and go up against that venture back company. Spend another $20,000. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I unfortunately had to skip the Mount Nebo section of the Arkansas Enduro series to go to JCK this year. And I just got one ticket. And I just did customer discovery. I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time, but I just hoofed it around every tech booth that seemed like someone I wanted to work with or someone that wanted to work with someone maybe I knew, or there's actually some customers I talked about that were exploring some tech. And I, and I thought, I'll go talk to those people and I'll learn about that tech and I'll send them an email about what I learned and how it might help them. Completely not mentioning my own stuff at all. So I went in there with these plans and it's so good that I did because there's one 
really important partner that we have lined up now, signed agreement. But back then, it was just kind of an in-the-air agreement. And I was finally able to put a name to the face, connect with them. And that's what the point-of-sale system that we use, which is really cool. Just, I, I can't say enough how important it was to go there without the booth and just talk to people and meet people and mingle. And I did every extracurricular activity. Also, our super good friend Angela was going to do the whole thing with me. And she got COVID while they were setting up their booth. So I didn't see her the entire conference. Wow. And I was supposed to like sit at her booth and kind of do some growth hacks with her. Can I hold you there for a moment? Because I want to go to this notion of, you know, you went to meet people and you went to meet people and sort of help them first. And I'd made myself a bunch of notes before this that because you did the same thing when we met at the Northwest Arkansas Tech Summit. I asked you, you know, what are you trying to get out of this? And you said, well, in the past, you would go to learn from the speakers. But that this year, you wanted to meet people, people that you knew and knew would be there and people that you didn't know, but hopefully you could find somebody that knew them to make introductions. Absolutely. Um, And I bring this up because what you've brought up is a valuable learning point for not just entrepreneurs, but anybody attending a conference. Trade secret, it's not about the speakers. (laughs) Or maybe I should say pro tip, right? It's, you know, look, the, the NWA Tech Summit that we talked about, it attracts an unbelievable slate of speakers every year, but it attracts 1,700 amazing attendees. Yeah. And, you know, when you interact and connect with others and, you know, help them and they help you, that's where the magic happens. I mean, in a world where information is freely available, yes, we need the speakers. Uh, we need to learn from them. But in reality, all the information is already at our fingertips. Getting connected with people, you know, is, you know, information doesn't make deals. It doesn't change people. It doesn't make things happen. It doesn't make life happen. People do that. And so, you know, again, it's, you've just sort of figured it out along the way, it seems intuitively. So (laughs) the special thanks list would go really long. (laughs) You bet. Well, hey, for the the sake of time, I want to sort of change directions on you, if if you don't mind. You know, well, first of all, I have to ask, you know, or say that I run into you at One Million Cups. And of course, you're with the Tech Summit, you're an Arkansas iFund alum or, or part of the Innovate Arkansas program. You know, having spent time in Southern California, and I'm sure there's similar programs, but w- what advantages do you see that our area provides that Bendeville and Northwest Arkansas provides that maybe the West Coast can't provide? Yeah. Approachability is a big one. So all those startup junkie events, I mean, you sign up, you go, it's, there's free food and drinks and it's just, it's the most approachable thing I'd ever been a part of. Maybe there's something like that in LA, but it never came into my inbox. No one ever said to me to go to it, which I think is another thing about LA, which is how cutthroat it is. I mean, why would someone tell me about an opportunity that could help me if it in any way diminished their chances of being helped by that thing. Where I don't think we have that mentality here at all. I mean, if you go somewhere, I think the thought is just that there's plenty for all to share and grow and we can grow it all together. So that's a big important part. I was writing down the words, scarcity versus abundance. 
uh, scarcity versus abundance. And those are definitely two different mindsets. Yeah. And over and over and over again, the real builders who are really givers think with that abundance mindset. And that's how they become very successful. You know, in addition to the, you know, abundance of resources that are here, and you've talked about a few, and there's a ton more we could talk about uh, if if we had time. (laughs) Will you talk about the tech scene in general? How have you found it, whether it's gaming or blockchain or whatever, how have you found that scene in uh, Bentonville and in Northwest Arkansas in general? Yeah, my first exposure to the tech scene here was when I was at the exchange space. You know, I pitched there for that Consortia Kickstarter to Joe Somweber, who said, yeah, this is cool. I want you guys to be here and work on this. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know it, but that exchange space is used for all kinds of things. And Bentonville had, there's a lot of different names. The names change all the time, but these tech meetings, and there were a hundred plus people at these meetings sure. where my desk was. So I basically packed up my desk and put it in my backpack. And then I'm sitting there in this audience, lots of discussions about gamification. I remember learning about like smart trash cans for the city and that, oh, they could tell the dump truck when they're full so that it doesn't have to pick them up every time, but can just wait. Some really neat stuff like that started opening my eyes to tech locally. I met Edwin Ortiz there. And at the time he was delivering luncher to RevUnit and we did a pitch together and worked on some stuff together back then. Felt very connected to the technology. And then One Million Cups, like you said, I was attending that quite regularly at that point and seeing all those startups and all those more established companies too. And what they had to talk about was amazing. Now with gaming specifically, which is where I was, Moonlight Games was a game development company. We used Unity, C Sharp. We like to build multiplayer systems and stuff. That was a little harder to find. And that's what I was searching for a lot. I was really searching for maybe a good co-founder in that realm and uh, just didn't materialize. But I did find the Northwest Arkansas Unity user group, which was kind of a brainchild of a, a guy named Keenan, who's awesome. And Keenan was part of Dr. Dave Frederick's Tesseract Center at the U of A. And they've been investigating retail, augmented reality, game development. They did an immersive painting for Crystal Bridges that you could step in the painting and explore oh, the world. That's neat. It was awesome. And being there meet up with send me an email every time we were done with one of those meetings and said, these five things, what, which one actually is why you went. And every time I clicked the feeling energized button, because I don't know what it was. I would go to one of those meetings and I just felt so revved up. And uh, actually when I started that big job that I was talking about that I got through Cody, Keenan, Cole had just been rolling off another project. So he and I went to LA on a consulting gig for a while and had like the time of our life. And that ecosystem there, even though in Arkansas, I'm saying there's not really much game development, there still is. And, and Keenan was doing that all himself just to help people. He had nothing to gain from that group other than sharing and caring, basically. He's from Texas originally, so not even his home state that he was trying to bolster. Well, that's the sort of folks that tend to be attracted here yeah. is what I found, right? Again, builders who give of themselves and in return they grow. Yeah, so so he got an amazing job in a AAA studio and had to leave the city. And I was tired of that happening. That was one of the things I talked to Yi Lin about. I said, anyone who's good in game development is going to need to leave because there's not a game company here 
that can employ 40 to 50 people and, and prevent that brain drain. And I think that resonated with her. And I was talking to Cash at the time. They had some cool stuff they were trying to build. And I was connected to someone in Magnolia, Arkansas, who actually runs the first computer science game development program available in Arkansas. And we formed the um, Arkansas Game Developers Group, which is not a very active group, but it's the first attempt at connecting the little hubs because there's stuff in Jonesboro, there's stuff in Little Rock, there's stuff in Conway, and there's stuff in Magnolia and stuff up here. And at least now we all have a Discord where we can talk together. And that's been really helpful too. Well, that's a spark. And around here, when you get a spark and you have amazing people like Elin and others advising you, Sarah, uh, go forth perhaps. Which Sarah, that, oh my gosh. She's been, right. I told her my story. This is, I think this is a funny story. I sat down. I told you we'd had a lot of trouble scheduling this meeting. I finally sit down and I'm thinking, in all honesty, I thought, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe she didn't really want to meet me. Within one second, I was like, well, that's not true because she was so open and nice. And I started my story. I said, yeah, a few years ago. And she said, no, go back a little further. It's like, all right, well, when I got my first job, no, go back a little further. Oh, when I got into USC, just a little further. Like, and I mentioned something I think about mechanical engineering. She's like, okay, start there. I just remember it was so amazing. I'd never told my story like that to anyone. She never interrupted me. She just listened to it. And then we got to the end of it. And she said, hmm, well, I want you to succeed. And she talked about the entrepreneurial support organization group that she runs. She said, yeah, there's like 50 to 100 people there per meeting. Mm-hmm. People like, we often do a pitch at the start. And that would be great for you because you could kind of get your name out and just a little bit about yourself and practice pitching to all these people. Um. Luckily, we were working with Innovate Arkansas at the time, but I did that pitch from a a family vacation in Florida where I talk about rolling with punches. I had this room reserved at the library and the day before the librarian said, yeah, we're we're closed tomorrow. So I I don't know why you reserved this room. And so if I hadn't talked to her, I wouldn't have even made. Anyways, Karen found this place called Beachworks, which was this super hip little startup place that Mm -hmm. I went to instead. And wouldn't you know it, right behind me was this beautifully hand-painted Rolex painting. And so when I did my pitch, I had this, it was like I manufactured it myself, <laughs> but it was all just a coincidence. And, uh, you know, talking to that group, that was, that was the start. I can't tell you how many people I've met since then. Catherine Corley, David Sanders, just, oh yeah, I remember seeing your pitch there. And wow, it's gotten better since then too. And just... But that moment of being ready and prepared for that took more work than I'd ever put into anything. And then, you know, I learned so much too. Well, you were in front of the right group. I was not on that meeting. I am usually on that call uh, every month. And you're right. It's 50 to 60 people show up. It's, it doesn't ebb and flow to where you might have 15 core people that only show up. And then for whatever reason, you have 50. It's, it's consistent every month, slowly grows. But these are entrepreneurs, uh, uh, support organization leaders from all over the state of Arkansas. I've been all over the country and some places around the world in my prior business, consulting with startups and investors and entrepreneur support organizations. I've not seen anything like it where you get an entire, I mean, the entire state of Arkansas. 
yeah. an entire state of entrepreneurs organizations together. And they regularly meet and they help each other out. And even though this is a relatively small state, some of the, you know, like Little Rock and Northwest Arkansas are definitely different. And Little Rock and, and West Memphis or Little Rock or, or Jonesboro and Texarkana, they're all so different. And yet everybody, and left out Pine Bluff, they, you know, everybody reaches out and Fort Smith <laughs> and, and really just tries to help each other and do that first. You know, you've mentioned mountain biking a couple of times, so we should probably talk about mountain biking and I'll ask it in the context of a, a, another question. Sure. You know, considering, you know, we live here in the mountain biking capital of the world. First of all, how exciting is the news about the U.S. National Mountain Biking Team? I think it's awesome. And Amazing. I, I hope to buy them all a beer sometime if I see them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so Bentonville, Arkansas is now home of the U.S. mountain biking team. So as they prepare to win gold at the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics, they'll be doing that practice here. And that's, that's incredible news. But, you know, so there's the mountain biking scene and a bunch of other amazing stuff you can do here. So how does living, working, playing, being here in Bentonville help you and your family thrive? Let me tell you what it was like in Woodland Hills. I drove my car to work and I drove home and there wasn't anything fun in between or to do either place. If I wanted to work out, I went to the little gym that I had at my apartment complex and I would ride the exercise bike. That, I mean, just translate that to, I moved into my first house in Bentonville. I was over close to Slaughter Pen and... On my lunch break, I started taking my mountain bike out and just exploring a little bit. It was a terrible mountain bike. And Riding slaughter pen, right? Yeah. That's just for the <laughs> listeners. That's a uh, that's one of our, our our trail systems. Yeah, yeah. So Angus Shoots was the the trail close to my house, and well, I got a better mountain bike at some point, and that was changing my life. I mean, I had gone from I was portly. I mean, when I lived in in Woodland Hills. I would joke that they chained me to my desk to write code with like hamburgers and stuff. And now I'm, you know, on my break, riding my bike, feeling fit, feeling healthy. I'd seen this article my friend Randy wrote one time that said, if you're not healthy as an entrepreneur or founder, you're not doing your business kind of its best interest. Gosh, I phrased that terribly. And it was so true because I started feeling healthier and I started seeing things more clearly and I started cutting out a bunch of cruft that I was wasting time on and including things that were important, just like on the mountain bike trail. You mentioned kind of how I was pivoting and mm -hmm. I watched the movie Point Break this summer and I was in this really mentally awake, mentally changing state. And they talk about following the line in that movie. And there was a moment where I just said, oh, it's real. And I started seeing the line everywhere. That's right. And I see it on the mountain bike trail. I see it with my startup. And if I don't see it, it means that I'm probably not mentally healthy in the moment, too blocked. You really need to make sure you're able to see that line because otherwise you're following someone else's line. And like, how helpful is that? Man, that is some fantastic advice. And I'll tell you, in mountain biking in particular, you really have to be mentally focused or you're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. I've, I've hurt myself not being mentally focused, trying to ride my bike, staying on that line. And in a startup, you can seriously hurt yourself oh, yeah. financially. Oh, yeah. You can seriously hurt if you have employees. 
employees' finances and thereby their families. And you have all these responsibilities. And so, you know, staying the line or following the line is really important. Let's start working through some of the final questions as we start running out of time here. If somebody, a super important non-random question first, because the ones that follow are more random. Sure. If somebody wants to reach you, how do they do that to become a customer or or to, you know, reach you for whatever reason? How do they reach you and how do they find out more about Wishfluence? All right. Three ways. First, just go to wishfluence.com, W-I-S-H-F-L-U-E-N-C-E, or email andy at wishfluence.com. It's A-N-D-Y. Or look me up on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash Andy Martin one and connect with me. Perfect. Okay. First, slightly random question. During Tech Summit, you mentioned the, that you did Ultimate Frisbee. Yeah. And, you know, in the absence, I don't know if you've heard the news, but they dropped it from the 2028 Olympics. Pretty sad. So in the absence of Ultimate Frisbee or Flying Discus, some call it. What variety sport would you add to the Olympics? So I saw that actually. I looked up something super interesting about Frisbee, which is that the Frisbee was actually part of a startup. Fred Morrison, I think was his name, and his wife were playing with a popcorn tin lid and after Thanksgiving. And then they took that tin lid down to the beach at LA and some people offered them 25 cents for that popcorn lid because actually at that time they used a cake tin lid because it was a little more stable. Mm-hmm. So they asked for their cake tin lid and Fred looked down in his hand at this cake tin lid that he'd spent a nickel on and looked at the guy who'd offered him a quarter started a business and then 20 years later sold that to Whammo. That's amazing. Yeah, which I think is super cool, especially husband and wife since that's how my business is. And I understand why Ultimate didn't make it in. Those teams have six people. And so for every country to need to field some kind of six to eight person Ultimate Frisbee teams too much. But is it too much to ask for a disc golf to be entered into the Olympics? It only takes one person. One person can play disc golf. And so the argument that it's too many people per country would go away and we could still have flying discs be represented. Awesome. See, just like that. Is it the International Olympic Committee? If you're listening out there, IOC, um, you've they you've got your recommendation. Oh, yeah, they totally listen to the Bentonville <laughs> Beacon podcast. Uh, they would be our eighth listener. I tried um, to actually get a disc golf course built here, and uh, that's now the land that was maybe being considered for it is now on the 8th Street Market where they've built so much mountain biking stuff. It's like, I don't think you could cram a disc golf course onto there now. Well, maybe we'll find a place to build one. The city sure does its best to try to you know, catered all the audiences here to have stuff for everybody to do. For goodness sakes, uh, you know, we've got a huge Indian population because we have a lot of of tech workers from yeah. Walmart and, and and others here. And uh, so the city said, we're not really inclusive if we don't have legitimate cricket pitches. That's and dope. I didn't yeah. know they added those. Yeah. <laughs> so those are being added in, in a, I think there's one park that maybe has some but they're being added more substantially in a, one of the parks that's being built. What's the one ability that you believe every person should possess? Okay. This one's weird, but one of my favorite Led Zeppelin albums is called Presence. And being present and having presence in all the situations that you're a part of, you're not going to find that line that we were talking about earlier if you're not present. 
You're not going to hear someone's real need if you're not present. And being present, it's deleting just a little bit of that self-talk when you're listening to someone. I think that's all it really is. It's when you're listening to them and you're just thinking, I can't wait to say this to them. Or that reminds me of this problem I have. Just take that extra second to try and turn that down just a little bit and actually hear and be present for what the person's telling you and let them finish what they're telling you too. Because only through that, wow. I mean, think of if I hadn't been present when my sister-in-law was telling me about the wish list needs that she had. I could have easily just been like, oh yeah, well, I'm doing such and such. And so that for whatever reason isn't what I'm doing. So I think that's the most important thing And anytime that I've seen a really successful CEO or actually one of the most impactful people in my life was my first project manager, Ricky Kovac. He was present. And when you told him your thing, he listened. And when you told him it worked, he cared. And those were the things that mattered. And so then you could spend three weeks working on a bug fix because you knew that when you told Ricky about it, he had heard you that you started and he cared that you were done. So I think it's great for a manager to to really work extra on that. That is that is boy that is that is some uh, important information or, or advice for folks. I mean, you can you can always think you know plan your life forward and so on. But in that exact moment that you're doing something, just be present. You may notice I take a lot of notes, <laughs> and the reason I take a lot of notes is so that I can be present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? I get that. So that it erases these. If I write it down, it erases this from my mind for the moment. And I can come back to it. Starting a business of any kind is just plain difficult. What's it been like starting one with your wife? I mean, how did <laughs> your your lifelong partner is your business partner? How has that been? And what advice would you give to couples who are thinking about starting a business together? Yeah, starting the business with my wife, Karen, the love of my life mother of my two children, James and Henry. The reason I moved to Bentonville because she's old Bentonville. The reason I'm established here because I just piggybacked on all of her connections. Starting a business with your wife, if you have kids, is dumb. (laughs) Um, Because no matter how great you guys are, I mean, the second one kid's sick. Wow, you just lost your business partner. So... I joke when I say it's dumb. She's the most amazing person around me. And when I thought, I actually spent a couple of years looking for a good founder and then just realized it was right there. And I latched on to her pretty hard and said, you be my co-founder. And I work from home. And so I didn't even have to bring in any other employees into my home or anything. She's just there. But the hard part is childcare. And uh, we do have some of the best childcare facilities in the world here. The Helen Walton Children's Enrichment Center is just a couple miles away from us. We love it. Super helpful and great for raising children. But yeah, the good things of working with your wife are the understanding or need to be heard maybe isn't as important because as long as you're making sure to do that in your day-to-day life, then then you don't really have to focus on that as much. You can mm-hmm. kind of skip, you can skip some of the soft skill stuff you have to do with others, basically the two hours each day at the water cooler. Okay, well, let's just work for two hours and then let's get pizza with the kids tonight. So some of that stuff is really helpful. And then being able to lean into it's really good. And then I received this advice a lot and hope one day I can take it, which is kind of leave the work at work. (laughs) 
Uh, but when you're in a startup, it's like I couldn't leave the work at work if she wasn't part of the business. And then when she is a part of the business, it makes it even harder. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I try to leave the work at work, but my wife sometimes asks me about it. I'll be darned. <laughs> Actually, uh, my my wife is the first listener of the Bentonville Beacon podcast every day. She gets up right as she thinks she is. What she doesn't know is it actually drops before she gets that <laughs> social media that that, that uh, social media uh, hit. But but she checks it out first thing every day, and then she asks me about it, which is great. But yes, leaving work at at, at work is super got to be super challenging when you work with your we partner. Live, we work in a very personal industry too. Yeah. I mean, they like me and Karen first. They they don't care about our application at all until they like us. Only at that point can we even start talking to them about you know the next business, and then oh, we actually have a product in that business too. Wow. <laughs> hey, I've got one last question for you, Andy. What's something I have not asked you that I should have asked? Hmm. Well, I guess it would be, what are my plans for next year with the business? Perfect question. What are your plans next year (laughs) with the business, Andy? So let me just recap some of the things we did this year. We signed up for Innovate Arkansas. We applied to the NWA Tech Summit pitch competition. We went to Conclave, which is a jewelry uh, conference. We applied for funding from the validation fund, which we got. We finished Arkansas iFund where we did 60 customer discovery interviews. This podcast has been a huge goal for me. Actually, since the summer, someone told me it'd be really amazing to get on a podcast. And then James was talking about something he said materializing and happening. And I sort of feel like the same thing happened here with this podcast. I just really wanted on one. Then I was listening to The Beacon then I got to be on the beacon. So huge, huge for me. So for this coming year, uh, really exciting. Instead of not knowing what Conclave is, we submitted a speaker proposal, emo- emotional intelligence and sales, and that got picked up. So we're going to present at Conclave. Then at JCK, instead of doing the traditional JCK we've done, our great friend Angela has asked us to partner with her on a booth at Luxury by JCK, which is the event where the jewelers who are more in line with like needing our product right now Mm -hmm. instead of maybe wanting it. They're all in attendance there. So that's really exciting for us. And throughout the entire year, we have a marketing plan that we've been lining up. Our new website should get launched here in a couple of days. Probably by the time we're listening to this podcast, it'll be out. And we're going to make our first hire during the next year. And once we get our marketing stuff lined out, we're still in stealth like right now. I mean, we've never really done some big, hey, let's try and get them in. But we're doing that. Now that we've got the validation fund backing, we have a plan to raise an angel round. And we'd like to get our numbers up, of course, before we try and do that. So an angel round in the next four to seven months, that seems pretty in line with what we're trying to do. And I would love to be at the end of the year with 10 stores, um, giving me a phone call that they just had the best Christmas ever. That's fantastic. Great job. I'll, I'll tell you, most entrepreneurs can't line, lay it out uh, just like you did. So uh, great job. It's been a long time coming to be able to do that. <laughs> and that just like everything you've done in a, a year and that you have planned out is pretty incredible. Thank you. We're just really fortunate. 
And I think a lot of that comes from just being here in Bentonville. Cool. Well, hey, Andy, thank you for taking time to share your story with me and with our uh, listeners and our viewers. I, what a fantastic <laughs> story. It was, you had me on the edge of my seat all the way through it, listening to all the uh, the twists and turns to get to where you are. And, and all of that is, I think, valuable story to help people understand really a lot of you could you could probably write a book of lessons out of out of what you uh said there's another question you didn't ask me which is what's the best book i read this year what's the best book you've read this year it was made in america which i always thought would be kind of a cut dry Uh story i don't know it should just be called how to start the biggest company in the world and keep it going it was amazing that That book taught me a new thing that I have, which I think that flow state, I was talking about a little bit of it, that following the line, which is a CEO mindset, which he talks about a few times in the book. And I never understood that before Sam just kind of laid it out there so casually in the Mm -hmm. way that he does, but so thoughtfully. Yeah. Sam Walton's a brilliant man. The I mean, the world really lost a brilliant man, but you're right. Made in America is a book. Everybody ought to read it. It's not a hard read. It's not terribly long. You can get it on, on uh, you know, Audible. But yeah, it's a great book. Well, thanks again. And thank you to our Bentonville Beacon audience. You know, without you, this show would not be possible. So take a moment to forward this show to your friends, whether that's on social media, email, text, ESP, however you want to do it. Second, come back and learn more about Bentonville through this show, about this place where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. As always, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and please visit BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com for all of our episodes and to learn more. Thanks and see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week.